You know, honestly, you know, so before I decided what I wanted to do, I remember we had a family friend that was a doctor. I remember I told you there's a lot of Ghanaian doctors mm-hmm. that moved to South Africa about yes. the same time as my yes. parents. And so I actually observed an operation. So somebody I still remember to this day. It was somebody who had a distended abdomen. So the intestines were all stuck together. Oh. And I witnessed this. You know, I came out mm. of that. I was like, mm, I don't think this thing's for me. Mm, can't stomach it. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to What's Your Story, a podcast from Technova, where we talk to business people, creatives, and entrepreneurs about their personal backstories and the projects and companies that they built and are building. I'm your host, Joseph Curie. On today's episode, we're speaking to Adama Paparawusu, the visa country manager for Ghana. Adama left Ghana when she was about 11 years old. She moved with her parents all the way to South Africa, which was still showing signs from apartheid. As a self-described nerd, she was into books and did very well in school. In her professional career, she built a great network, which led to great benefits, including promotions and job offers at different companies, including NetBank and Standard Bank in South Africa. Those great connections eventually led her to getting a job as a country manager for Ghana Visa, which prompted her to move back all the way to Ghana around 2019. So let's hear the story from Adama, from her young age, to her networks, to her working profession, and how she eventually got a job at Visa. I grew up in Ghana, left Ghana when we were pretty young. So I think my parents very similar to a lot of uh, Ghanaian in the in the middle class in the mid to late 80s mm. during all of the economic strife they left oh, okay so we moved to Swaziland initially and then settled in the trans guy in in South Africa so I actually was born in Ghana left Ghana I'll be giving my age away but I left Ghana <laughs> once probably about 11 or so okay and I went to university primary okay so my father worked at Gimpa oh. so I worked at uh, my father worked at Gimpa I went to university primary and I grew up in, a, well, I mean, like I spent a year in Swaziland, or less than a year in yeah, Swaziland. Yeah. And then we settled in South Africa. Okay, which city did you settle in? In, in South Africa? Yeah. So when we went to South Africa, it was still in the middle of apartheid. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's well, pretty wild. I well, must tell you about those experiences. It's pretty wild. So as a black person, you couldn't settle in South Africa proper. And wow. so there were these sort of home they call them self-governing states or homelands right and we lived in one of them called Transkai okay and at the time they were there there were lots of Ghanaians Ghanaian professionals so academics like my parents doctors nurses they were moving into the Transkai and we attended an international school so in all honesty, we didn't really understand apartheid because we were surrounded by white people right you know our classmates were white people um, people from all over the world, really. So, grew up in a place called Mtata in the Trans Sky. Okay. And what was the school experience like? Like, did you like grasp onto a particular topic in school or subject in school, or like, how was your school experience like? I was a typical nerd. I won't lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So, I grew up loving books. My father is an academic. He's an economist. We're retired now. My mother's a, t- is a teacher. So okay. we grew up surrounded by books. Nice. I mean, I grew up loving books. And my father had this thing where every Saturday we'll go to the library. Oh, nice. We would, we would get books and we had to actually do a, a book review. Oh, so just review. separate from school is like... Just yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's probably like the typical Guinean experience. Right. So pops, 
we would do a a book review and then the best book review got more pocket money oh so So, yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) so i grew up loving books and i was kind of always in the top two three top five in my classes growing up but it wasn't always the case i must give you another backstory okay and just in terms of answering your question around the subjects that I, I, I did well in, I really did well from a commerce perspective. So I did well in maths. Okay. I did well in accounting. I loved history. Okay. And I also did well in the sciences. So I guess I probably did well in most of the subjects. But I think there was a strong influence towards the commerce side and, right. and the science side. Okay, so does it mean that because you were a lover of math, science, when you got to university, you were typically drawn to those courses as well? So you know the typical Guinean parents, there's got to be at least a doctor in the house. Right, <laughs> right. Our family was no different. Um, I think they wanted me to do the medical route. You know, honestly, you know, so before I decided what I wanted to do, I remember we had a family friend that was a doctor. I remember I told you there's a lot of Guinean doctors mm-hmm. that moved to South Africa about yes. the same time as my yes. parents. And so I actually observed an operation. So somebody I still remember to this day. It was somebody who had a distended abdomen. So the intestines were all stuck together. Oh. And I witnessed this. You know, I came out mm. of that. I was like, mm, I don't think this thing's for me. Mm, can't stomach it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was leaning more towards the commerce side. I remember I said to you, I did well in, in, in accounting. Yeah. And so that was more the leaning. But where my father worked, if the university offered the same subject, they wouldn't pay for you. You know, if oh, you're really? for your child to go and study elsewhere. And I needed to get out of where we were. It was a small town. So I ended mm-hmm. up studying pharmacy initially. Oh, wow. Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. It's quite a, a yeah. kind of, I mean, science-y, you know, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did for about three, four years, realized it really wasn't for me. Mm. So I converted to a science degree. Okay. So my first degree is actually in science. Okay. Biological sciences. So genetics and biochemistry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are my undergrads. Okay. Um, my undergrad degrees. Okay. Did you enjoy those courses? Because you are a science nerd, as you said. I did. I did. So at the time that I was growing up and studying these courses, there was a huge leap in genetics. Mm. So they, Dolly the sheep had just been cloned. There's just a lot of stuff mm. going on yeah, around, yes. around science okay. and, and cloning. And I thought, okay, well, this, this it, sounds pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it sounds very fascinating. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed unraveling things and seeing how things come together and solving for things. Right, right. So that kind of made sense. Cool. So did you have like a career in mind because you're studying science, everything? So did you think when I'm out of university, this is where I'm going to go? Or So Joe, you know, it's so interesting. A lot of people, what they study and what they end up doing are very, 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 <laughs> very different. Very different. I can attest I can to that, yes. When I finished my first degree, it was a case of, well, what next? Hmm. Um, it was a basic degree. Do I add on to it? Do I continue with science? Do I evolve? So the school that I studied at Wits, the Wits University in Johannesburg, it's mm-hmm. a very well-renowned university, one of the top universities in Africa, actually. Yes. It just turned 100 years, um, I think, earlier this month. Oh, wow, it's a long time. So the business school offered a business degree called a postgrad in management. Okay. And you could have any discipline. So anybody mm-hmm. with any degree could do this. Oh, even regardless of a science degree. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when I finished my science degree, I had got in for honors. So in South Africa, you have like a basic degree and then you do a postgraduate. Mm-hmm. 
So I had applied for the honours in both genetics and biochemistry, got in for both. And then somebody from the, the business school came onto the main campus where I was studying and spoke about this course. And I thought, ooh, this is pretty interesting. I mean, I've always had an interest in commerce. Remember to yeah. that well in it? Yeah. And I thought, well, the combination of science with the commerce will probably take me a lot further than just pure science. Um, the way I saw it, it was a combination of analytical skills and business skills. And I thought the combination would do really yeah, well. Yeah, that worked, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did a year of this PDM, postgraduate management, which was fascinating. I yes. really loved it. And I think that steered me and steered my course in terms of my career. Nice. So you you're going to business school, basically does this postgraduate mm-hmm. course in a way. So... When you were coming out, you knew that, okay, now I'm loving business, so I'm going to go into that field. So what was your first job you got out of university? So my first job was actually an executive search, so recruitment. But now people think, oh, recruitment, executive search. But I'll, I'll explain to you how it kind of added to my career evolution. Mm-hmm. So it was my first job. And with most first jobs, you're kind of not really sure what you're getting into. Mm -hmm, True. So with this job, an executive search, so you find high-level executives for various companies. Okay. And with this job, my initial role was a researcher. So I had to understand the the company, the industry, Mm. find out the different roles and help to identify and hone in on the right individuals to target. Right. So like an executive headhunter in a way. Yeah, exactly. It's a headhunting role. Gotcha. And so for me, it was a great foray into understanding business because you had to... Like I said, we worked worked across various industries. So Mm -hmm. one day it would be finding someone in mining the next day I'd be finding somebody in media but mm-hmm. you have to understand those businesses mm-hmm. and the research helped a lot in terms of trying to identify those individuals so it was a it was a good start from a career perspective because mm-hmm. you were exposed to a plethora of industries and able to find out more about them how they worked identify people's roles mm-hmm. So it was it was a, it was a good first job. It was yeah, a good first cool. job. And then how long did you do the job for? So I did it for about just over two years. Okay. And then I moved into a healthcare consulting. Hmm. Okay. So, so like the science was yeah, not yeah, totally it was, it totally was still possible. there. Yes. Yeah. So with this job, it was a company called Eye Choices, and it was morphing from being a pure medical aid into a healthcare consulting firm. Gotcha. So offering a variety of healthcare related products and solutions for individuals mm. and so the research from the previous job came in there because the company was morphing it was developing and they needed somebody to assist in terms of getting all the background research in terms of oh. all the categories that the company was morphing into to understand them better look at best practice and how to put it together okay. so my research from my previous job came to be yeah, in this role. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. So so going to healthcare now, like how did that also morph then morph into getting a job at NetBank, for instance? How did you go from healthcare all the way back to finance or accounting? So during that time I started doing my MBA. Okay. I was doing my MBA on a part time basis. Okay. And I think for me the commerce thing was still there. So one of the things I knew for sure growing up is that 
I wanted to do an MBA. I also knew mm. that you could do an MBA with any degree. Yes. So that, I think from age 12, I knew I was going to do an MBA. Oh, from age 12? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I can't even tell you whether there was something defining that led me to that, but I just knew I wanted to do an MBA. Mm. It wasn't somebody that inspired you to do it, or did you see somebody who was who had done the MBA and was kind of like you're a fan, you're a fan of? Perhaps, Joe, but... To be honest, I mean, like I've been, I've been wrapping my mind because, you know, when I was thinking about this conversation, I was reflecting on my life. And I, I still, to this day, can't really say, but hmm. I just knew at age 12, I said to myself, I was going to do an MBA. MBA. Wow. Okay. So now, so now you're doing MBA part-time. I'm like, doing an MBA finally, part-time. Yes. I am doing this job. And so my, my dissertation, my MBA dissertation was actually around healthcare. Oh. But it was around access to healthcare for low-income Awareness or low-income people. Okay, you know, so basically, how do you make healthcare affordable for the bottom of the pyramid? Right. But I also did the MBA because I wanted to transition. I knew that I wanted to get into financial services, mm-hmm. and so when I got out of, when I finished my MBA, actually was probably still in the middle of the MBA, still probably in the middle of the MBA, I got this job offer at at NetBank. Okay. So South Africa has four major banks, mm-hmm. or actually probably about five now. There's another bank called Capitec, which is for the lower income, but it's become one of the, the big know, banks. One of the big banks. And NetBank was one of the top four. Nice. And that role was in card, actually. Mm. So this is my foray into 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 payments. Yeah. And it's a whole new industry. Yeah. Yeah. So the business model. So NetBank was one of the only banks in, in, in South Africa to, to issue American Express cards. Mm. And the business model was a little bit different. And Capital One, so there was a lot of thinking around right. Capital One and how they were structured yeah. that fit into this NetBank card business that I was a part of. Right. And I remember the time joining was like a bunch of young people probably like all in our second third jobs mm. and we came to job and we were doing really cool things and we had fun right. really really had fun and so I was in NetBank for just over a year okay. and I was looking at the the premium segments okay and just looking at what were the products and solutions that they required from a card and payments perspective mm. and bolstering that proposition for, for NetBank. Right. So, and, and what year did you go to NetBank? So, uh, NetBank was 2005, I think it was. 2005. So, you yeah. did, okay, so 2005, then... 2006. Okay. 2006. 2006. Okay. Then you stayed there for one year. Just over a year. Yeah, yeah. And then when did you jump to the next stage? So, one of the really cool things about an MBA is that you make amazing networks and friends. Mm, yes, they say that, yes. And one of my colleagues, one of my classmates, worked at Standard Bank. Mm. And he said to me, this is a really, really cool job and I think you'd be great for it. Mm. So, I must let you know that the net bank job is probably the, the last job I, I actively applied for. Oh, so all my other jobs since then just kind of networking and, and networking just and people referring you okay so Jason that was my friend he told me about this job and it just seems so cool <laughs> so it was a segment manager for a proposition so at NetBank it, it was a strategy role okay 
and we were looking after a portfolio. So the mm. portfolio was called Prestige Banking. So it was just mm. below the premium. Right. And it was for up and coming professionals. Right. And the segments, the challenge of the segment was that there were other banks offering a similar proposition, but they were doing better. Mm. And so we realized the proposition needed to be revamped. So yeah. I was in charge of driving that. Okay, so like, uh, so yeah, so kind of a, I, I wouldn't say challenging, but also like something that you can actually do and see this is something new to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also it was all encompassing. It brought mm-hmm. together so many different things that I've done into this one place. So, nice. you know, the portfolio needs to be right sized. Mm-hmm. We needed to add a new card product to it. You know, mm-hmm. so card, the card theme started then, card right. payments theme started then. But also it was around making sure that the offering itself was good you know so mm-hmm. there were other things that these professionals were seeking that the solution didn't have at the time right, right. so bringing all of those elements to play oh nice okay so so you then go to stand to standard bank mm-hmm. and now you're doing this new kind of challenging but also mm-hmm. very interesting role mm-hmm. and then how long did you last there or how, what was your d- daily um, day-to-day experience like so standard bank i was there for six and a half years it was, okay. it was, a, it was a it was a pretty long time the days were so diverse. Mm-hmm. One day you'd be sitting with the card people, deciding on what the card, right card type would be. Mm-hmm. The next day you'd be, you'd be sitting with the bankers who manages this portfolio to say, what are your daily challenges? Why mm-hmm. are we not selling this solution right. properly? What, is it training that you require? What elements would you be seeking? Yeah, what are we missing? The next yes. day we'll be speaking to actual cardholders or, or, or people that had this uh, proposition to say, mm-hmm. if... You could change this. What would it? What would it look like? Uh, so basically, customer-facing type interview mm-hmm, type. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And then also working internally as well, dealing with our risk folks at Standard Bank to say we need to up this proposition. What are some of the risk parameters we need to be considering? Okay. So it was all encompassing, and what I liked about it is the, the diversity of the role and the fact that you had to work internally. And then also externally. As well. mm-hmm. um, so it was, it was really, really awesome. Okay, wow. So six years, that's, a, that's quite a long time, six years. So were you like getting promoted in those six years to different stages? Or were you just doing like the day-to-day, like talking to bankers, talking to people? So I was a standard bank for six and a half years. This role was probably about two years. Okay. So I did a lot of different things at the bank. The thing about standard bank is that it's a really large organization. Mm-hmm. And every job change it's like a whole career change. Oh, okay. And so people stay there for a very, very long time. Mm. So I must let you know as well that, and I think this is one of the, the key things to kind of let you know, is that in making career choices, you've always got to have the end goal in mind, right? Mm. Yeah. And so my life has been defined by, well, what is the ultimate defined strategy and kind of what emerges? Mm. And so for me, I've always been very interested on the continent. So... Mm. I needed to work for a company that was doing stuff on the continent. Like in different places, not just one location. Definitely. And so for me, one of the appeals about Standard Bank was the fact that it was active in a lot of African countries. Mm -hmm. And I knew that ultimately, even though I started in an SA-based role, I wanted it to evolve into a rest of Africa-based role. Okay. And so I was very conscious about the next step after I left NetBank. So it, it was... 
either Standard Bank or MTN. Those were the two yeah, because MTN roles was, that, were, yeah. that I was considering. Well, the two companies I was considering. Okay. Now, the reason why I mentioned the, the thing around defined strategy and emerging strategy is that you have a goal in mind in terms of, I want to work for a company that is focused on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, or I want to do work that's focused on the continent. Right. Because for me, that is something that I've always been passionate about. But things emerge. Right. Mm-hmm. So I did NetBank first and then I got into Standard Bank. But my first role was in a role that was SA based. Mm, yeah, just in South Africa. Yeah. Okay. And so I just wanted to l- let you know this so that I can evolve the story. Okay. <laughs> okay. So six years, Standard Bank. Mm-hmm. And then, so what was your next jump? Since now you're thinking about the continent mm-hmm. as a whole. So mm-hmm. what was your next jump? So the next jump was into the corporate investment banking side. So I started off in the retail side of the business right. and then moved to the corporate investment side. And it was an area of the bank contract called transactional products and services. And again, that friend of mine, Jason, mm-hmm. who got me to Standard Bank, was the same one who helped me with this. So he had moved from retail into, uh, Cor- corporate. Uh, into corporate investment banking. Okay. And this uh, role came up and he thought you'd be perfect for it. There was a lady who was heading up the area and he's like, oh, I know how you are. I know mm-hmm. how Nikki is. Um, this lady became our boss and I think you guys would work really well. Yes. And so Standard Bank was rolling out this online banking platform yeah. for corporate customers. And there was an instance of it in South Africa but rolling out into the rest of Africa. So my role oh. at the time was to act as an account manager Okay. For the rest of Africa business. Oh, okay. okay. So as it was being rolled out, made sure that the banks it was rolled out in, the people knew about, about the, products. the products and how to sell it onto their corporate customers. Right. And also the this was a platform that was evolving and so it needed to get changes happening onto it all of the time. Oh, yeah. So it was around building the case building the case for the change. Mm, okay. You know, and you know how it is. I mean, I'm sure you know how it is with any anything. Yeah. There is a roadmap. Yeah. You gotta fight with your business case True. and get prioritization mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for for this too well. So right. that was my initial role. So it was in corporate channels. Okay. And I was an account manager for the Africa regions. Okay. So apart from like maybe trying to make business cases, like did you have any other roadblocks or challenges as you were going into this new role? Yeah, I mean, there were several challenges, you know. So first of all, Standard Bank or people in South Africa refer to the rest of the continent as the rest of Africa as if Africa was <laughs> divorced. Right. And it was a constant battle. Right. You know, and you had to fight to get priorities because as, as I mentioned, the, the platform was being used in SA as well. Mm-hmm. And so the SA corporate clients needed certain um, features and benefits as well onto this platform mm-hmm. which may be different from what the rest of the content was seeking yes, exactly. and so I had to be their voice right so you're and speaking make for sure, them yes mm-hmm, and make sure that these things got prioritised so it was really around um, a lot of internal lobbying mm. yeah basically back and forth yeah yeah mm-hmm a lot of internal lobbying, making sure that you understood the, the priorities really, really well so that you could define the business case well. Mm-hmm. And then whilst this was happening, you still had to roll it out into other different other countries. Wow. Okay. So you're sounds like you're doing a lot of fighting, <laughs> trying to get your your voice for other countries heard. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. There was, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. So I did that for maybe about a year, year and a half. And then I, I started running channels. So my boss, Nikki, she, her role changed. Mm-hmm. And so I took over her role. Okay. And um, so I did that for about 
gosh, maybe about another year or so. Okay. And then I moved into another part of the business operations. Okay. It's all still the Standard Bank. This is also Standard Bank. And um, operations, I realized quite early on that for me, operations are not my forte. I have to be in the front of the business. But right. that said, it was also another being a voice for the voiceless because operations is always seen as kind of the back end. It is where if you don't know what to do anything with, with anything, if you don't know what to do with anything, it's with operations. It's right. kind of the back end and gets blamed for everything. That's true. And <laughs> it was going through a transformation journey. Mm. Um, the bank was in the process of defining a new business model mm. and operations was going to be seen as a key part of it. Okay. And so I had a really inspirational boss, a really, really inspirational person who was part of the transaction products and services team. Okay. And he moved to operations and I moved with him. Now, one of the things that I learned during that time is the importance of a sponsor. So okay. not a mentor, but a sponsor. A sponsor. A, a sponsor is somebody who basically drags you, mm. takes you by the hand and puts you in different positions. Okay, so and, like mm-hmm. in different meetings or things like that? More in, they give you strategic projects okay. and things that will make you more visible. Ah, gotcha. And those will take care of you. You know, if they know of interesting projects or interesting things that are going on, they will let you be aware of it or they promote you. Basically, a sponsor is your promoter. Okay. And one of the things that I will encourage all of the listeners is wherever you are in your company, try and identify the sponsor. Hmm. And be mindful of the fact that this is different from a a mentor. So a mentor is somebody you go to to kind of give you guidance and counseling, Hmm. but a sponsor is somebody who is ideally somebody who's prominent in the organization, Hmm. is influential, is visible, and they can help you in your career. Yes, cool, cool. Okay, so you you say you did operations for a year. I did operations for a year. Um, and then I I think my last role at the bank was in the office of the COO. So we had the COO who was running a bunch of strategic projects. And I was there in my last year in the bank. So this was 2013. So 2012 into 2013. So 2013, I left the bank uh, and that's how I joined Visa. So Visa, what happened was somebody I worked with at NetBank. Oh, wow. All the way back to NetBank. All the way back to NetBank. Was at Visa and she was leaving to move to Egypt. Hmm. And she mentioned to her boss at the time, I was like, oh, I, I know this person who would do my role. Yes. So that's, I got a call, went for a couple of interviews and that's how I joined Visa. So I joined Visa in South Africa before moving to Ghana. Oh, wow. So how long were you in Visa South Africa before even coming to Ghana? So I was there for five years. So okay. I joined Visa beginning of 2014. 2014, okay. And I moved to Ghana beginning of 2019. So okay. in South Africa, I was a business development manager. Gotcha. So I had business development director. So I had a bunch of clients that I looked after. So mm-hmm. they were MNOs, big banks, um, fintechs. Mm. When, when you first started the Visa role, like what, did you run into any roadblocks or was it because you had those past experiences you said, okay, this is a this is an easy transition for you? So the visa role was kind of the first foray into tech as I know it. You know, oh, so okay. people think visa is card. Yes, you know, when the, people think visa, they think card. But at the core card. of it is actually technology. Mm-hmm. So you have a platform called VisaNet. 
and it's the base of what everything is done on and mm. it's 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 knowledge base i mean we see ourselves visa is probably the the world's first fintech mm. yeah when you think about it that's mm-hmm. true that's very true yeah so established in 1958 i think it is so mm. 64 years old oh, right now yeah long time yeah so i mean like, i think I wouldn't say it was my first foray into payments because remember I told you about the NetBank experience yes. and I was in card mm-hmm. and then when I had the first role at Standard Bank with the prestige yeah, portfolio yeah. segment role there was a card element to it right and so it, it was all kind of coming together so you know what, what I keep telling you about the the divergence and emergence mm-hmm. strategies mm-hmm. here it came to play as well okay so because yeah. one of the reasons I joined Visa as well is that I had worked for kind of South African local corporates mm. and then evolved into pan-regional bank. Yeah, that's what Standard Bank was. And then I was moving to global company. Yeah, which is Global yeah. company with a world. very visible and very prominent brand True. which was also active on the continent. Yeah. So it's all coming together. Okay. So yeah, so I was rolling out. So you were, so how long were you in South Africa at Visa before you moved to Ghana? What have you prompted to move to Ghana? So I was at Visa for five years. I always knew that I wanted to do more in the continent and I wanted to come to Ghana. So even though I was in SA doing all of this time, I would come to Ghana just about every December. Oh, yeah. As everybody so, does. Yes. As we all do. Mm-hmm. So I was coming in and out. My heart was in Ghana. I knew I wanted to come to Ghana. I just wasn't entirely sure how this was going to come about. Hmm. So in 2017, I think it was, because I remember it was like a two-year conversation when I actually moved. Oh, well, two years. 2017, I heard murmurings that they were looking to open up an office in Ghana. And I was like, I'm Ghanaian. Yes. I understand Visa. <laughs> mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense that I get this job. Yeah, it seemed like it just a just a fit for you. Like Definitely. Like, like there's no point in searching, just like I'm right mm. here. <laughs> mm. So... I mean, I had to go through the process. I mm-hmm. had to lobby as well, okay. speak to all of the really important people. And I still had to go through a whole interview process yes, to, yes. Get, to get this role. It took two years. Two years two of conversations years. and talks and the mm-hmm. whole process. Mm-hmm. That's a long, it's a long, yeah, two mm-hmm. years. Yeah. But Joe, I think the important thing about this is that you've got to have a plan. You've got to think about the next steps. You've got to think about things because things just don't happen. You know, you've got to yeah. think through all of these these elements. Right. You know, I keep coming back to this defined and emergent strategy because that's what's defined and shaped my career. Yeah. You've got a plan in place in terms of what it is that you are seeking to do. But things happen and sometimes you need to kind of emerge or deviate a little bit, mm-hmm. but always have that goal in mind. Yes, so remember not- I told you, my focus was I wanted to work for companies that were doing things on the continent. Yes. And I wanted to be part of shaping the country of my birth. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so basically, so basically it's almost like you had a path and maybe you might swerve in and swerve out, but mm-hmm. it's still on that same path mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was 2017 that you officially got the visa Ghana job? No, 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 no. So I probably got it towards the tail end of 2018. So I okay. transitioned into the role. So yeah. It was run out of Nigeria before. Hmm. So you have people that would come in and out of Nigeria and they'll come maybe once a quarter, maybe once every two months or so. Our clients weren't getting the right level of focus. Also, there were a lot of things that were happening in Ghana from a regulatory perspective in terms of the Payments Act. and mm. Yes, yes. All of these things. We knew we needed to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be, if we were serious about 
our business in Ghana, we needed to be here. We needed to be on the ground. We needed to be on the ground. And so I think it was probably about August, July, August 2018 is when I first started coming. So I'll come a week a month and see the clients go back. And in January 2019 is when I officially moved. Okay. So officially moved and had the role of the visa country manager. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to know more about that experience. When you first got the job, what was like the roadmap for you as far as Ghana is concerned with visa? Like, what did you want to do? Did you see some things or trends that you want to say, we need to go in this direction, go in that direction? What did you see when you got to Ghana? So Joe, for me, the initial year was just kind of laying roots. Hmm. Even though... I was Guinean. I wasn't Guinean enough. You know, I'll go to meetings and people are like, oh, but you sound so South African. Yes, they, yeah, they do that to me too, so don't worry about it. Yeah. So I had a lot of that. And given how I've grown up and my experiences, I believe I was a lot more forthright mm. than the average Guinean is. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, And yes, so yes. that was viewed as a bit challenging as well. So I don't think people could really figure me out because I was quite forceful and I saw things at face value where... In Ghana, you can't really take things at face value because what people say and what people do it's very are different. very different. So very different. I realized I had to just take a step back and actually understand the terrain. Because okay. even though I'm Ghanaian, like I said, you know, you weren't Ghanaian enough, you weren't South African enough. There's also there's a whole <laughs> other story around reality, but we can get wow. into that as well. But for me, I just realized that I needed to understand things better if I was going to be successful. Yeah. And so the first year was just really around that. Understand my clients, understand who were the big revenue generators, understand what was going on. You know, there was this beast called mobile money, which is Mm -hmm. really, really huge. Yes. And it's the preferred way to pay. Yes. You know, Um, cash is also there. And so you're fighting against all of these elements. Right. What do you make of it? You know, what are the banks doing? Because Mm -hmm. in the end of the day, I had to enable them in terms of their payment solutions. True. We've let this this giant mobile money was, was huge. Yeah, it's very huge. Yeah, people always prefer to use their phones mm-hmm. and then, you know, mm-hmm. or cash than mm-hmm. use because Visa is still known as the card company. Right. Because we're thinking of, right. of Visa, they think cards. They don't think of the technology, as you said. At all. At yeah. all. So you had to change all of these misconceptions. Um, I needed to make the brand more visible, make people more aware of it, make people kind of get in touch with the brand as well. Mm-hmm. There was none of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was so much to be done. So I think it was around understanding the landscape, defining and understanding the Ghanaian consumer, mm-hmm. the yeah. psyche of the Ghanaian consumer, yeah. and putting together strategies that would cater to all of that. Mm. You know, whilst at the end of the day, making sure that the visa strategies were also inculcated into this marketplace, right. growing our market share, growing revenue making the brand more visible, mm-hmm. developing relationships within the ecosystem. You yeah, know? So banks and everybody Apart else. from just the banks, getting to understand the fintech world, what's happening within the fintech space. Right, right. Also understanding, the re- developing a better relationship with the, with the, the regulator. Or not yeah. develop, developing a relationship with the regulator. <laughs> right, because you just came in, yes. Mm-hmm. And other stakeholders within the, the payment ecosystem. So that was what it was about. Yes. We did some really interesting things in the first year. I mean, some of the notable ones was around Taking Ghana, I think that's probably where our first card to do. Yes, that's true. That was really quite great for us in terms of profiling visa. Mm. And then also just understanding the fintechs in the marketplace. And then in 2019, December, we know it was 
the year of return. Yes. So we aligned with Afrochella and Polar Beach Club. Mm-hmm. And the big so, brand names, yes. Mm, and so the Visa brand was really, really quite visible. Nice. And 2020 was supposed to be around building on that. Right. And we all know what happened. And then the pandemic happened, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that also in itself was, was, was good for us because a lot of people adopted e-commerce. Yes, everybody was paying online, mm-hmm. ordering food mm-hmm. or ordering everything else yeah. online. And you couldn't travel, so yes. you got stuff online. And it really changed the trajectory around e-commerce in Ghana because you were forced to, if you wanted to get things and you couldn't get out, you had to find a way of paying for them online. And so that really helped shape and define our business. And and e-commerce has been great because it's been habit forming. Mm. Yes. You realize kind of a year on two years on that behavior has not stopped no people are still people are still on e-commerce so it really really that digital shift happened and happened very very quickly okay yeah and so the business kept evolving now we've rolled out contactless payments Mm -hmm. which we are have you heard our catchy tune on the radio (laughs) which one (laughs) Oh, we have a really, really cool contactless song. You must listen out for it. I think they play it on Joy FM. I think we know it on YFM, City FM, definitely in the mornings they play it. Okay. So now we've got our contactless and it's now building on that. Right. And growing that. So um, it's been it's been a fun space. And then also working with the fintechs, identifying fintechs that we could partner with hmm. um, helping them to accelerate their businesses as okay. well. So I want to just go back a little bit. So the 2020 pandemic lockdown, how did that affect you personally? Because you can travel, you had to be at home, kind of being the country manager for Visa while stuck in one place. How did you adapt? How did you... Gosh, 2020 was so hard. I mean, I was having a conversation with my husband the other day. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. Because what happens, my parents were still, my parents were still in... In SA. And then they came to visit February 2020 because they were looking to move back to Ghana. Okay, okay. And March 2020, you know, the world shut down. So they, yeah. was, they got stuck with us. Okay. So Kofi and I, my folks, I mean, I haven't lived with my folks in maybe like 18, 20 years. Wow. And all living together. I'm trying to maneuver all of this. You have work pressures. It was a really challenging time. Really, really, really tough time. Um, the thing is, for me as an individual, I was used to remote working mm. because I was the only one here in Ghana. Yeah, so yeah, okay, manage everything operations here by yourself. I manage everything by myself, yeah. So I was reliant on a cross-functional team based out of Nigeria and South Africa to support me. And so I was used to communicating remotely, mm. right? And I mean, that was a special skill set that well now a lot of people have had to acquire but for for us um, as a business I think March April May 2020 we were all just trying to figure it out you know what yeah. does this mean yeah, it's going to be two months only well yeah, you know we all for three weeks yeah. and we'll, we'll get back and so we had to obviously change how we op- I need to use the word pivot but I, I hate that word <laughs> pivot and unprecedented are the two yes. words unprecedented, yeah, unprecedented. oh my god yes. I can't stand those words no. anyway we had to change how we interacted with our with our clients and our clients are used to FaceTime yes seeing exactly. you seeing you in person mm-hmm. yeah. and we had to do things differently so 
we resorted to I mean, online like everybody else. What we wanted to do was that some of the challenging things that we've been grappling with for the longest time, I remember one of our clients wanted to roll out a loyalty solution. And there were a lot of technic- technical difficulties to it because the client, loyalty solution that we had rolled out was mainly for a card, for the cardholder. Right, and yeah. this client was, if you're going to roll out a loyalty solution for us, it's got to be enterprise-wide. So we had to mm. think differently. So it was an interesting challenge to to grapple with mm. because we had to think differently this, and make a yeah. solution with the clients and we had the yeah. time to think through it because you know all yeah. of a sudden you weren't in such a big rush yeah so there was that and I think for us one of the things that we had to help our, our clients with is really around navigating this whole e-com e-commerce yeah so they weren't entirely sure about it I mean then we had started there had been pockets of it but it just really accelerated and so mm-hmm. it was around helping them and guiding them and also obviously where the cardholders focus is where the forces are focused and mm-hmm. so increasingly cyber security became a, a really, thing, really yeah. important thing so we had to ensure that our clients had all of the right risk and fraud tools mm-hmm. and all of the right protocols and all the right rules so that they could guard against right. fraudsters so all of these different things were, were happening. And remember, you know, I still had to find a way to still develop those That's relationships right. with the client. Okay. And also, even though Ghana had a relatively short lockdown, I still worked for a company where I wasn't allowed to go and see people. Yeah, because I think that was a, most companies impose some certain yeah. rules. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's only really towards the back end of 2021, probably about July, August. Oh, wow that we were kind of cleared mm, to, to go out, to go out and, and, and see people. So it was an, it was a, it was an interesting time. It was, a, it was a challenging time for me personally. I mean, there was just like a mm. lot to, to, to get through. But I, I read a lot during that time as well. So <laughs> yes, you say you're a book nerd, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good time to read. Really, really good time to read. I'm a pretty extroverted person, so I'm always mm. out there, out and about. And when I came to Ghana, I was just getting into the art scene as well. Mm. You know, okay. discovering the different artists, the different um, spaces, and all of that came to a halt. So I mm. became, I become more of a homebody. You become more of a homebody. Yeah, oh. that's the shift that's that's happened for me, and I quite, I quite enjoy it. Oh, really? <laughs> I think that's the Ghanaian thing where you come here and you kind of become a homebody because mm. I've, I've observed that with many people. Mm. <laughs> that's so mm. interesting. So now it, you're in, I guess, since 2019, so about three years now mm-hmm. at Visa Ghana. Mm-hmm. So looking for, like you, had, like you said, you had a roadmap. Now you're at Visa Ghana, kind of having a, being at a global company in a way and a company on the continent. Do you also think that maybe this is not your end, this is not the end, there's still more to go as far as, you know, doing something on the continent? Or do you think Visa is kind of going to be a long time before you even take on something new? I think three to five years in a role is is kind of a good enough time to have your strategy, roll it out, see it evolve and kind of think about the next thing. Mm-hmm. Is Visa... The end, I mean, look, in February would be nine years since I've been with Visa, as long as mm-hmm. I've been with any one company. Mm-hmm. But also I've done different things. Yeah. I think that there is a lot that needs to be done on the continent. And sure. I'm not entirely sure of what next yet, but I do know that it's still going to be around the continent, you know. So Visa, we are in, gosh, I think we operate out of 48. We service about 48 
African countries, mm -hmm. you know, so there's still space to grow. True. Um, so there, there is that, you know, I mean, one could move from a Ghana role to West Africa role to Sub-Saharan Africa role. Yeah. There's that. And also our region is Central Europe, Europe, Middle East and Africa. So our hub is in Dubai. So, you know, there's the Middle East to think about. But True. I mean, to be honest, my passion is for the continent. So right. whatever it is that I do has to impact and influence the continent in some way. Actually. And I think that tech has a great role to play Very in terms sure. of changing the lives of people on our continent. And I think that we are just... We're just scratching the surface. Mm. We really, really are scratching the surface. I mean, like, I think there's so much going on. I mean, I was met you at the, at the DeFi Summit a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And for me, the stuff that's happening there is fascinating. Yeah, it's I a think, whole new trend, yeah. I think we in Ghana are just sleeping. If you think about <laughs> where the likes of the, the Nigerians are, the East oh, yeah. Africans. I mean, I was blown away. I mean, I, it felt almost <laughs> like a parallel universe right it's that lots of things are happening elsewhere you know mm. and it's like what's this so dude mm. this is like revolutionary technology in a way it so is so people are talking about the metaverse and you know we still understanding better understanding how we got operate in it and as you're trying to understand it's evolving mm -hmm. yes right and so I, I think my whole thing is that tech there's so much evolution happening with tech and there's so much so many different human problems and, and challenges that the continent faces that tech can help enable so I will want to continue to be a part of shaping that directing that and seeing seeing how it, it helps our continent grow nice okay so I guess a couple of last questions so since you've been working like basically almost in finance almost your entire career when you look back on it is there something you think about this why Maybe if I'd, I should have done this decision instead of that decision, or I should have done gone in this direction instead of that direction. Do you ever think about that and think maybe I should have done this instead of that? So that's an interesting question, Joe. I think that life happens and unfolds as it should. Hmm. I've been taking stock over the last couple of months or so hmm. for for a variety of reasons. And I mean, like there's one a picture where I, there was a picture that I came across of me and some girlfriends when I was still studying pharmacy at Rose University. Oh, wow. And we were young girls, you know, we, the world was our oyster, you know, we had these fabulous thoughts in terms of how our future was going to be. But I mean, through it all, we were uncertain. So I remember coming across this picture and I was thinking, wow, what would I have said to my young self then? And that's when it came to me that you know, life will evolve and emerge as it should. I mean, I've recently gotten married. I mean, like I'm a lot younger. I'm a lot older than I look. I'm a lot <laughs> older than I look. And I recently gotten married and people thought, oh, well, you know, you've gotten married in your 30s. But also, mm -hmm. I knew that I probably wasn't ready at the time. So meeting Kofi and marrying him now is the right time. Right. And so, would I have done anything differently? No, I think all of the... All of the decisions, all of the things that I've done has shaped who I am now, right? right? And all of perhaps the mistakes, perhaps the challenges, perhaps the, and, and all of the good things have shaped and, and evolved me to who I am right now. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. You yes. know, there's been failures along the way and you think, oh my God, like, what? Yeah. But 
you learn from them. You know, obviously yeah. when you're going through them, they don't seem like they are teachable moments. True, but very true. You learn and you evolve from them. So to answer your question, no, I I don't think there's anything that I'll do differently. But I, I do want to stress though that don't just go through life without a plan. You have to have a plan and you've got to work towards it. And also, you, you know, you've got to believe that what it is that you're looking to achieve will happen. That's good advice. Okay, so last question I want to ask. So if somebody's listening to this podcast right now and they're a young person, business person, entrepreneur, if there's any piece of advice from your life that you can give to them, what would you tell them to do? So I would say to them that embrace different things, embrace change. I mean, like for me, for example, I didn't think that I would be in tech. Hmm. You know, if you heard my career evolution, you heard that I did biological sciences and I did added commerce to it. And so banking professional who's now involved into the tech space. Mm -hmm. I mean, banking is what I knew. And now I've worked for a tech company longer than in any of my other jobs. And my background was biological sciences. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of an interesting journey. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that you can be anything that you want to be. But have a plan in mind. I think for me, the whole thing is that be clear about what it is that you are seeking to do. You may not always know what that will be specifically. Mm. But for me, my North Star, what has been guiding me is that I wanted to make some kind of impact on the continent of Africa. Mm. And if my way through the world of financial services, products and solutions, that's what it is. Mm. So I think about my Standard Bank days when I was in TPS, which is Transactional Products and Services, to Visa now, you know, it's been the rollout of payment solutions that have helped people. Yeah. So I think that be open. Um, for those especially, I think technology is a great leveler. Very Embrace true. it. Don't be scared of it. And learn. I mean, I'm still learning. Mm, yes. You know, I mean, I was telling you about the DeFi and Money Summit and, yeah. and, and the Metaverse and all these things that were coming out. And I was like, Wow. So a lot of things out there. There's a lot of things out there. And continue learning. And also, don't be afraid to ask for help from people. People are a lot more given of their time Mm. and wanting to help shape others. Well, not shape, help contribute towards other people's development. So don't be shy to approach people Mm. and seek advice from them. I think there are a lot of people who are very open to it. Um, and I think as Guineans especially, mm. I, mean, I don't know who your audience is, but as <laughs> Guineans especially, we're quite timid mm, and true. we need to be bolder. Yeah, I've said quite a bit. I think one of the things is be bold, challenge the status quo. And mm. Guineans don't just be hiding <laughs> there, you know, just go for things. Just go for it. Mm, yeah. I think that would be my that would be my thing. Just, just go for it. Be bold. I mean, what if you try and, you know what, would have learned something. Yeah. But perhaps you could also succeed. You know, but you won't know because you didn't try. You, you didn't try. And that was Adoma Papraousu, the country manager for Visa Ghana. Thanks everybody for listening to the show. And don't forget to share and like and give reviews. And share with your friends as well. Thanks for listening.